friends. Welcome, welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. <laughs> oh, that's a that's two weeks in the making. That uh, that 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 little jam. Yeah, we're gonna we're, I'm gonna write an entire. One day I'm just gonna have a performance of it for you all. Well, we're all. Do you have rhyming words <laughs> that I can use about ghosts and ghouls and liches? Please write in. Uh, you can find us uh, at a <laughs> New York Mystery Machine. You know what a find us. <laughs> Any excuse for you to write in. Um, well, welcome to the show, everyone. It's been a, what a fruitful uh, fall it's been. Been a fruitful fall. We're winding down. And amazing autumn. An amazing autumn. Winding, uh, winding down. How was Thanksgiving, Christina? It was delicious. It was really delicious. It was lovely. Ed made a great turkey. Not a big turkey because we had a small one this year, um, but it was it was real good. It was real tasty. Uh, and no one died. No, no one, no one died. Was, no one was murdered. No one murdered. Well, that's always the dream. I believe the goal of every Thanksgiving um, is that no one gets murdered. Much like the first Thanksgiving, they waited until after to murder them. And then the pilgrims murdered so many people, yeah. which is uh, real shitty. And uh... but again, they waited <laughs> after. They're like, let's share this meal together. And now, if our if our European diseases don't kill you, our knives and guns will. Yeah, Thanksgiving's got a bad history, what folks. It's a really. We should just give thanks because it's worth giving thanks, and not uh, idolize certain murderous, terrible pilgrims. I love it. Also, happy Hanukkah for those. Happy who Hanukkah! Today's the first night of Hanukkah. This happened a few years, like ten where, years ago, where, where it's it was like Thanksgiving Hanukkah. It was we, in fact, a couple of friends. And and I we all had um, uh, a merry happy Thanksgivinga. Oh yeah, which was great because Christmas and Hanukkah and Thanksgiving were like, well, I guess Christmas was always where it was going to be. Yeah, but, but like really it's sort of piled on top of each other, nonetheless. Yeah, I always wonder to myself. I say, self, do people really care about the first few minutes of our show when we just kind of like catch up on the world? Question. But I think they do a little bit. I think it's an insight of a, of of what's happening in the studio. They feel like they're in the studio with us. I like it when I listen to podcasts and they do this. It's that parasocial relationship. Building. Yeah. It's like, uh, I know these people. And so like when you come see us live, which will happen in the new year, probably, um, you're like, oh, I already know you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They'll know all about Merry Happy Thanksgiving and they'll know about my cats and they'll have already scored me as, as Goody Marinelli and whether they would have condemned me in a colonial Many court. people have already done that. Yeah. I think everyone's consensus is I would have been dead. It would have been real dead. Yeah, you've been real dead. Real dead. Um, but uh, we have uh, another story upon us today. Yes. What are we? What are we storying? Adam? Um, it's another missing persons case. Ooh. And um, yeah, uh, the last one I got to do was Theodosia, which is the oldest missing persons case really in the country. But this is not as old. But um, it is an odd one. Okay. Um, it's to say a cold case. It, I mean, it's a cold. It's very cold. It's cold. sub 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 freezing sub zero. Yeah, it's just like um, yeah, it's an interesting story. I guess I can just get on into I'm it. I'm ready. And guess what? We get to talk about New York City. Love New York City. We haven't been in New York City in a while. That's true. Last week we were in New York City. We were the Thanksgiving episode took place um upstate upstate near Poughkeepsie, and the week before that was all upstate and even some Philly. Mm-hmm. And before that, we were on Long Island. Yeah, for been, witches. We've, yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Since you got what's to happening New- in New York, Adam? History is happening in Manhattan, <laughs> and we just happen to be in the greatest city in the world. In the greatest, greatest city, city in, in the, the world. world. Shortly before Christmas, <laughs> this is the story of uh, Dorothy Arnold. Dorothy Arnold, the missing socialite, who, Ooh. who, who, who all of a sudden. Went up and missing and is never found again. Still missing. Still missing. Unsolved case even to today. Ready. Here we go. Shortly before Christmas 1910, an heiress to a perfume empire named Dorothy Arnold vanished without a trace while she was shopping for an evening dress in New York City department stores. That's a glamorous way to go at least. (laughs) (laughs) And she did go glamorously. We'll get into it. Uh, It happened in broad daylight and has literally stumped historians for years. Just... How does a person just go vanishing in during the day? Like, what happens to this person? Right. 
And uh, I'm sure you'll have theories. I'm ready. As you often do. I'm so excited. So Dorothy Harriet Camille Arnold, Mm. what a name, was born July 1st, 1886 in New York City, Manhattan, to parents Francis Rose and Mary Parks Arnold. Her father was a Harvard graduate who became a senior partner at F.R. Arnold and Company Perfume and Cologne Imports. Hmm. The Arnolds were very wealthy and proud descendants of Mayflower passengers. Oh, one of those Mayflower families. There, there it is. Goes back to the Thanksgivings. That's not Thanksgiving. Is it Mayflower Thanksgiving? Yeah. Oh yeah. So back to Thanksgiving. Right? Yeah. 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 Plymouth and all that. Plymouth Look at us Rock. go, Mazel. Um. Um. Yeah. Descendants of Mayflower passenger William Brewster was their ancestor. Dorothy was the eldest daughter and received her primary education at Velton School for Girls and went to college, went to college, college? went to college, (laughs) went to college at Bryn Mawr College. I'm a, I'm a martyr. Are you? I'm a martyr. That's where my grad degree is from. Bryn Mawr. Oh my God. Connection. Yeah. Connection. You guys, you're like, you're like sisters. We're like, yeah, we're, we're, we're one of the seven sisters. See what I did there? A little martyr humor for uh, she obtained her degree in literature and language from mm. Mar. How wonderful. What a, what a, what a, Look at this. A sister. She wanted to become a writer. When she graduated in 1905, Dorothy moved back to her parents' home in New York at 108 East 79th Street, though her parents were not very supportive of her dreams of being a writer. What a shock. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that always the case? Can be an, why don't you just be a lawyer? Well, I guess in this time she wouldn't have been a lawyer she probably would have been told to like go get married yeah no she wasn't like they being, were not, they, she just wanted her to be an artist that right. just was not like they wanted her to do shocking parent rich parents don't want their kids to be an artist <laughs> you're rich just let me be an artist on december 12th 1910 dorothy wore a tailor-made blue serge coat that's the second time i had to say the word serge on this show I how think, do you spell this type of serge s-e-r-g-e Interesting. There's no accents. I don't think it's Serge. Serge. But same thing happened in the Olive episode. And I was like, I don't know what Serge is. But here we are. Uh, It flowed to her hips. She paired this with a straight cut skirt, Mm -hmm. an ornate hat of black velvet, adorned with two white roses and a pale blue lining. She also carried a large fox muff to warm her hands from the frigid cold on that New York City winter day. Love him off. So when I say that, she like, girl goes in style. She yeah, really does. Like she is like top of the line fashion. Yeah. Living. Her clothes aren't too important to the story, but they do add a lot of texture on what could have happened to her and what probably didn't happen to her. Hmm. Dorothy told her mother she was going to pick a gown for her sister Marjorie's coming out party. Hmm. Debutante ball. Yeah, a debutante ball. Um, the weirdest like custom and tradition. Introduction to society. Right? That's kind of what it is. Isn't there an Elizabeth Bennett line along the lines of like, you can't expect a woman to own to her age, especially with two younger sisters or something. I don't know. I remember. Yeah. It's just, um, it's a weird party where they're like, welcome to society. You are now a person in the you world. Can, people can marry you. That's really That's what it really is. what this it's is, like right? Presenting. Our, <laughs> our sexually viable daughter for the taking. Going once, coming twice. So, uh, so make it real weird, but you know. So, Mary, her mother, offered to accompany her daughter, but Dorothy declined. Quote, she said, Maybe I'd better go with you, Mm. Mrs. Arnold says. And Dorothy answers, No, mother, don't bother. You, you don't feel just right, and it's no use going to trouble. I mightn't see thine, I want to, but if I do, I'll phone you. Hmm. So basically, she's like, I may not end up getting the dress I want to get, but if I do, I'll call you and you can come get it for me. <laughs> Which is like baller as hell. She's like, I don't want to spend the day with you. I was going to say, this is very like, you're going to cramp my style, God, mom. So it sounds a little suspect, but it's not. You know, her mom is, is kind of ill and Dorothy yeah. didn't really want to probably uh, give her any more stress. Right. And walking a busy New York City street. She's liable to get consumption. Uh, I mean, not even getting consumption, but just like busy New York City, upper Manhattan shopping. Yeah. It is not, you know, what a sickly woman wants to be doing on her on her day. Yeah. Um, so Dorothy says goodbye and walks out. So here's what we know happened after she walks out of her parents' home, right? She leaves home with no luggage. Mm-hmm. Though it is conceivable that a nightgown might have been able to fit in the depths of her muff. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see that. 
But aside from that, which is unlikely also. Also, why bring a nightgown with you? I don't know. Like, they're just, you know, just speculating. Ideas that she could carry some stuff in the muff. Okay. Um, she had about $25 of a monthly allowance of $100 with her, which is pretty baller. Like, at that time. I was going to say, that's a lot of money. $100 isn't it? a month. It's pretty pretty steep. The day before, she had withdrawn $36 from the bank to take to some girlfriends to lunch at Sherry's, followed by a matinee. Presumably, she carried the remainder of the sum with her as she walked along 79th Street towards right. 5th Avenue. Those who saw her recalled that her demeanor was normal, and, and if anything, she looked happy and cheerful and excited to be alive and not missing at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not missing. The day that she, she went to go buy this dress was super cold and icy. It was December, New York, classic New York, um, you know, before global warming really right. started taking its hits. Back in the before times, children, there used to be something called four seasons in New York. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes, 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 you would, yes. You would cycle through them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As one would. Um, she walked from her home to the Park and Tillerford store located on Fifth Avenue and 26th Street, where she was charged for a box of chocolates. Did she walk all the way down to Fifth and 26th, you said? 27th, 5th and 27th. Oh, wow. She okay. Walked, right. She walked. She's a walker. She walked there. Um, the sales girl recognized her and uh, added the order to her account. So she goes, she leaves her apartment. She goes, gets charged downtown. She goes downtown. And then walks back uptown for the dress? Yeah. So so this is where we're at. So she walks to Park and Tillerford store located at 5th and, and, and 27th, where she gets charged for a box of chocolates. Mm-hmm. The sales girl recognizes her and adds the order to her family account. She next will walk to Brentano's bookstore, where she bought a book called Engaged Girl Sketches by Emily Calvin Blake. She again charged the purchase to her family account. She leaves Brentano's around 2 p.m. and runs into her friend Gladys King. Okay. Gladys said that Dorothy appeared to be carefree and in good spirits. Gladys had actually received an invitation to Marjorie's debut, her coming mm. out party, and happened to have the RSVP with her. Uh, in her muff, as most, like you do, as most girls do, um, and so she took it out of her muff. She handed it to Dorothy, and she made a you know a quick little joke about having to be able to save postage now. Hmm. You know, like, <laughs> I don't have to now. I don't need Right, that that whole scent that's going to you know. Then Gladys King uh, excused herself, explained that she had to meet her mother for lunch. And it was nearly 2 o'clock and she was running late. Dorothy said that she was going to walk through Central Park and the woman parted ways. Oh, see, this is this is the mistake. You never walk through Central Park yeah. And on the far, Yeah. And on the far corner of 27th Street, Gladys turned to wave back a second goodbye to Dorothy. And after that moment, Dorothy Arnold was never seen again. Oh, okay. So she doesn't really go she far uptown. Up she doesn't okay. go back uptown. That evening, the Arnolds arranged to have dinner. Francis and Mary became very concerned when the very punctual Dorothy just didn't show up. They called Dorothy's friends and searched of their daughter, but no one admitted to seeing her. They decided they, they wanted to wait and see if she would return before taking any action. Mm-hmm. After midnight on December 13th, a woman named Elsie Henry called the Arnold home to see if there was any news, new news regarding Dorothy. Dorothy's mother answered and said that she had come home but couldn't come to the telephone because she had a headache. Um, the only problem with that is that Dorothy right, was wasn't not home. home. Um, she was still missing. And so the reason why her mom lies about it is still kind of unknown unless just to keep up airs. Like nothing's nothing's the right. matter. This entire thing, you're going to start feeling a little suspect here with with. with with their parents mm-hmm. and it starts to tend starts to toe this really fine line between um keeping up airs yeah and um being shading. real weird yeah so the next morning it's clear that something's a mess right dorothy mm-hmm. still hadn't shown up she hadn't called didn't sell telegram nothing dorothy's parents decide uh then to do something even more odd they decide to not call the police oh boy now by this time, you, like I'm watching Christina do what I did, and that's casually making a list of the odd things that her parents do when she goes missing. <laughs> <laughs> I literally did the same thing. I was like, okay, that's odd. Oh, yeah. oh also oh, odd. Still odd. This is really odd. Um, so instead of calling the police, Dorothy's brother John calls a friend named John S. Keith. Um, John S. Keith was a junior partner in the law firm of Garvin K. Armstrong. Um, 
And uh, Keith was a few years older than Dorothy and had occasionally escorted her to dances and lectures at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Hmm. You know that place. I know that place. <laughs> her brother uh, asked Keith to stop at the house on his way downtown that morning. Keith was reluctant to do so. He says, can it wait? And her brother says, nope, this is serious. Huh. <laughs> you got something? No, I okay. think that's very weird. I think it's weird that your immediate call is to a lawyer. I know, now I get it that he's he's stepping family out. Friend, yeah, family friend, out. stepping out with Dorothy. Um, and over the phone, I guess the brother does not say, "Hey, Dorothy's missing. Can you come on down?" Yeah, right. He doesn't say that. He just no. says, "Come on down." And come that's, on down. Okay, really that's important. why the guy's hesitant. Okay. So then he arrives at. So he arrives at the Arnold home, and Keith is taken directly to Dorothy's room. Everything there seems to be in perfect order, right? And Mrs. Arnold and Marjorie assure him that all of the missing girls' clothes were, in fact, hanging in the closet, except for what she had on that day. So there's mm-hmm. no clothes missing. Nothing's, nothing's awry. Opening a desk drawer, Keith finds a pile of personal letters, some with foreign postmarks. Hmm. On the desktop, he noted two transatlantic steamship folders. So these are basically brochures of the time for ships traveling from New York to England, um, sometimes other exotic mm-hmm. places. Um, you know, think Titanic, think like luxury right. um, steamliners. She wants to take a summer cruise. Yeah, or you know, reside someplace for a little bit. I don't know, right? right? She has these in the drawer, in the drawer, and her parents know nothing of them. Okay. Um, she hadn't mentioned any sort of international travel to her parents. The only time she had mentioned uh, travel to her parents was her deep desire to to live in Grand Village. She was an artist. She was a writer. She wanted to be an artist and a writer, and she felt the best place to do that was in the village, and her dad refused to let her go. It Which, was, as far as things go, not really much of a trip, just, just moving downtown a few blocks. Yeah, but her dad wanted her to live in the house, okay. did not want to live in Grand Village. Hmm. Dorothy's father had not only inherited a large sum of money, he's from old money, but he also makes a ton more as the head of the company. He's Mm. the perfume importers. Right. Um, So to someone like Keith, a young lawyer, he's a potentially solid client, right? Mm -hmm. Like has a lot of money. So Keith knows he has to go the extra mile. He knows he has to like do whatever he can to perhaps get him to sign on as a client. Right. So he goes that extra mile. He basically becomes like a personal private detective for the family. He suggests uh, searching morgues and hospitals and even jails. And furthermore, he offers to conduct the searches himself. And this is, of Mm. course, with the caveat that he still would not inform the police. Mm. Over the weeks following, he spent days in New York, in Boston, in Philadelphia, walking down lanes of hospital beds, examining nameless corpses, uh, peering at young, unfortunate females who are languishing in jail. Mm -hmm. He is going everywhere Mm -hmm. to find this woman. But this search leads nowhere, and finally, Keith recommends that the family call upon the Pinkerton Detective Agency. Ah, they helped out with the Germans murder. Our friends from last week. Pinkerton officials listened to the story of the disappearance and immediately mailed a descriptive circular on Dorothy to police departments all over the country. A reward of $1,000 was offered for any additional information leading to return, which in that time period is pretty stacked. Early 1900s, that's... That's a huge amount, actually. Huge amount. I'm not really good at translating inflation. I just know it's a lot. It is definitely a lot. Because thinking about it, like, if someone gave me a thousand dollars today, I'd be like, yes, yes. (laughs) And and like, Husta German, for instance, was he was getting one hundred fifty dollars a month for him and his family of four to subsist on, right? In the thirties. Um. So I imagine it's a huge amount. Presumably, the NYPD also receives one of these circulars, but it stands firmly on protocol and it refuses to act in the Dorothy Arnold matter until it's directly appealed to. Huh. Yeah, isn't that odd? Like, I think that would not happen today. I was going to say, if... I mean, I guess if there's no direct evidence that there is a crime that has happened and someone's just... I don't know. That's weird. Okay. Fine. Um, The Arnolds wouldn't actually go to the police with a formal, you know, case until January 22nd, 1911, six wow. full weeks after Dorothy's disappearance. Wow. Mark down. <laughs> then, accompanied by Pinkerton detectives, Keith and Francis Arnold called upon Deputy Police Commissioner William J. Flynn, 
Um, already informed by the Arnold family of the general outlines of the case, Flynn, who later would become the head of the United States Secret Service, oh. advised an immediate meeting with the press. This would give the widest possible publicity to Dorothy's disappearance. But the tactic uh, was said to 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 infuriate Mr. Arnold. He didn't want people knowing about this, mm-hmm. right? It's it's that again that weird thin line mm-hmm. of keeping up airs and not being embarrassed and mm-hmm. this is a bit suspect. Yeah. Um he, you know, until this time, the the family, the Pinkertons, a few friends, those are the only people who knew Dorothy was missing at all. Mr. Arnold really actually wanted it that way and he vigorously resisted two days of intensive arguments um before he finally brought himself to to to, to say yes, we'll tell the world that Dorothy is missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then the afternoon of the 25th, he called reporters to his office. So Francis may have truly dreaded all the notoriety that this interview would bring. Or perhaps, as some really thought, that he had some kind of inkling as to what Dorothy's fate was. He did it. Whichever it was, the elderly gentleman's behavior before the assembled press was very gloomy, very downtrodden, and almost angry. He immediately informed the reporters that he believed his dearly beloved daughter was already dead. He said, quote, assuming that she walked up home through Central Park, she could have taken the lonely walk along the reservoir there because of the laxity of police supervision over the park. I believe it quite possible that she might have been murdered by gavitters and her body thrown into the lake or the reservoir. Such atrocious things do happen, though there seems to be no justification for them. Yeah, the walking across Central Park thing was something I immediately was like, oh, no, this is a bad idea because um, especially... I guess what time of day was it when she went missing? Was it sort of afternoon? Yeah, I, I mean, she leaves. She leaves uh, her friend around two. Around two, and, and that's it's on twenty. And, and it's on twenty, and there she's on like on twenty seventh. So she has a bit of a journey to get to Central Park. Central Park doesn't start until fifty ninth. Right. So she's got a bit of a journey. It gets dark early. I know it would it's be icy dark, dark, streets. But it's so icy like streets. she's getting there around three. It's a, it's an hour walk at least. If you're yeah. Going from twenty seventh and fifth to fifty ninth. At that time of the of, of the world, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and when the roads were what they were, if she's walking, indeed walking, she's not getting there until ace three. So sunsets around four, four thirty. So it's, it's it's getting a little duskier. It's getting and dark. And here's the thing about Central Park, folks: do not go walking through Central Park alone in, in in the dark. I've had to tell too many people this. Too many people. There's a shout out to a friend who one time was like, "I'm just going to walk home after this happy hour through Central Park." I'm like, "No." You will die. This is how people die. And I told her not to go. And finally, she listened to me. And that's the end of my story. And and she didn't die. She didn't die. There it is. That's the moral of the story. Um, one thing that the gentlemen of the press could not believe was that anyone, even a sheltered heiress like her, could lead a life as dull and uneventful as the one described by her father. Her father would like describe her life as just like this boring ass thing, which is clearly just not terribly true, but just what he wanted to, he wanted to eliminate any bit of sensationalism, right? So one reporter asked Mr. Arnold if he had objected to his daughter keeping company with men. And it caused him to dive into a fucking rage. He says, quote, it is not true that I have objected to her having men at the house. He thundered. I would have been glad to see her associate more with young men than she did, especially some men of brains and position. One whose profession or business would keep him occupied. I don't approve of young men who have nothing to do. Is this a jab at Keith? It is a jab at someone, not Keith. The men having nothing to do is a specific shot at one man in particular named George C. Criscom Jr. George C. Criscom Jr. George was a plump, sideburned, 42-year-old man who lived with his elderly parents in Pittsburgh and summered in Nantucket. Dorothy and Criscom met at Bryn Mawr and at one time called themselves engaged. So they were kind of a little bit of an off-again, on-again Situation. I don't know why he was at Bryn Mawr. He was at Bryn Mawr. Bryn Mawr is an all women's college. Yeah, I'm not sure why he was there. Interesting. Professor? Could be. Interesting. A year before her disappearance, during the summer of 1910, Dorothy had gone with her family to their summer home at York Harbor, Maine. Then, in mid-September, she had asked her parents if she might spend a week in Cambridge with a former college classmate, Theodora Bates. Her parents said yes, of course. So on September 16th, Dorothy departed. But 
she didn't go to Cambridge. Instead, she stayed in Boston, where she met George Criscom Jr., mm. who had arrived the day before and registered at the Hotel Essex. A on, dirty weekend. On the morning of Dorothy's arrival, um, George, who liked being called Junior, had gone to the Hotel Lennox, where he reserved a room and bath for her. During the following week, the two were seen together constantly, looking happy and fun and carefree and they literally made no effort to, ide- to hide their identities mm-hmm. or, or the fact that they were together in Boston. At the Lennox, Dorothy registered under her real name mm. with her correct New York address mm. and two days leave before leaving Boston, she visited a pawn shop on Boylston Street obtaining $60 for $500 worth of assorted personal jewelry. Huh. Again, she used her name, her address, all like legit Noah other stuff and it was this sharp-eyed pawnbroker who exploded to the press and the police uh, and told the story about, about them being in Boston. Yeah. So, like, that was... After she goes missing, they hear about it, and this pawn shop was like, well, it, this guy's talking about, like, guys in the press, and, like, I know she had a guy. I saw him. And she pawned $500 worth of stuff for $60. Yes. This wealthy heiress ran out of money... So she pawned shit for $60. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know her life. I don't know her choices. So the best idea in the room was to locate Griscom. He was quickly found. He was in Florence uh, with his with his, with his his parents. Florence, Italy? Florence, Italy, with his parents. And he received a telegram on December 16th from John Keith. The telegram read, quote, Dorothy Arnold missing, family prostrated, cable... Garvomcom, if you know anything of her whereabouts. Um, guests at the at Griscom's hotel recall that he read the wire and seemed pretty pissed. Um, someone said that he had said, quote, Arnold is making some serious trouble. Um, but he immediately replied to the telegram, quote, no, absolutely nothing, Junior. Again, Junior being his nickname. Yeah. Um in the weeks following, he received other messages inquiring whether Dorothy had appeared in Florence. Um, of all, he answered, you know, negative. Then on January 16th, Dorothy's mom, Mary, uh, along with her brother, John, traveled to Italy and decided to talk to him face to face. They met George in hotel room in Florence. And John really started to, like, dive in and be like, where is my sister? What do you know? How long have you been dating? What's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. <laughs> um, and George just kind of was like, I don't know anything. But he did say, look, I I love Dorothy. I love her. I'm in love with her. I'm concerned about her. But I don't know where she is. And upon that, John punched him in the face. Ooh. Like a All right. Boom. Uh, during February, Griscom returns to America with his mom and dad. Uh, and in New York, he inserted ads in the personal columns, uh, which begged Ca- Dorothy to communicate with him. So okay. he's like, if you're alive, if you're out, hey, find me. Like, yeah. just find me. Like, maybe you don't want to go to your parents, but find me. Right. Right. Um, so no word ever comes. The the, the police from, from cities across the state, from states across the nation are looking and they're starting to to work with other other theories that lead to either perhaps uh, a suicide or other elopement, amnesia, personal rebellion, but all they find is dead ends. They find nothing. Reporters were no more successful. Once the headline read, Dorothy Arnold found, spread across newspapers around the country, but this turned out to be a hoax. Mm. She was not found, and all it did was piss the fuck off her parents. Right. They are like, do not do that. Uh, and finally... Uh, Francis just was like, I don't believe any of this. This is useless. My daughter has definitely been killed in Central Park, mm-hmm. even though there's nobody. Mm-hmm. Since Dorothy's disappearance, uh, reported sightings of of the heiress had cropped up uh, nearly every year afterward, and many imposters came, uh, and many imposters claimed to be her in a bid to attain fortune. But obviously, that wasn't yeah. that wasn't the case. Um, conspiracies around what actually happened to her spread like wildfire. So um, they are suggested that perhaps she she ran away or she committed suicide. Uh-huh. Um, perhaps um, she had recently uh, bit one of her one of her um, uh, uh, writings was recently rejected from a from a big publisher. 
Mm-hmm. And so when they had searched her room, they found in the fireplace the ashes of her manuscript that, that you know, it really broke her heart. And so people thought perhaps these all these rejections got to her. Yeah. I mean, we're artists, we know it's all hard, right. it's a hard life. And then by Valentine's Day, that next year, obviously, mm-hmm. um, the February after she goes missing, something really odd happens. After the Arnold family spends thousands of dollars searching for Dorothy with no resolutions, they make it clear that they believe that Dorothy is dead. On that day, District Attorney Charles S. Whitman offers his assistance to the Arnold family and with their efforts to locate Dorothy someplace. Francis, the father, simply declines. Goodness. Mr. Whitman thought he misunderstood, and he explained that he intended to set any and all of his detectives on the case. And Francis says, quote, please don't, please don't. He begged Mr. Whitman, we are not looking for Dorothy any longer. And that was the end of the search. What? A two-month search ends where he loses all faith, so it seems, and calls off every every bit of uh, searching. That's weird. That's weird. It, the whole thing is weird with how they've... I, I, I understand that it's a different time and people were like, oh, no, our reputation. But the word's out right now. And the DA's going to sick everybody he knows on it like wouldn't you just say all right one last hurrah we'll try it all and also it takes nothing i mean yes there's the idea of closure and there's the idea of like just coming to terms with things but to close the case to physically close the case to say stop looking i don't know i don't know either i think it's a mixed bag right like i think that some families need to like process their grief and sure and i think sometimes you need to like i mean I've watched Unsolved Mysteries before. Yeah. You know, I get it where you can only really come. Yeah. So many families can never come to terms with it because there's never a resolution. And so you either make a choice to stay hopeful for the rest of your life and live in that like weird grief. Right. Or to close a chapter and move forward. And I think they they appears that that's what he wants to do. I guess it's just I mean, what do I know? Grief is weird, but it seems so soon. Right? Like, it's only been a couple of months. She could be out there. Or even if you're sure she's dead, wouldn't you want, like, the reservoir drained or dredged? Like, don't you want Don't you want that body? It takes no effort, and, and you know, it doesn't take as and, and you're not paying the detectives now. Right. This is, like, free labor from the police department. At least for the body, for burial or something, you know? If you're so convinced she's dead. Yeah. I think he did it. Well... We're going to get into to theories okay. and ideas, whatever you have, and what, what historians and scholars have, have thought about when we come back from our little break. So we'll be back in just a moment. So you listen to our podcast, which means you must love mysteries. But how would you like to solve your very own mystery? Hunt a Killer is an immersive murder mystery game told over the course of six episode boxes. Each box is filled with different clues and physical items such as autopsy reports, witness statements, and more. You'll use these clues to solve an ongoing murder mystery. Work solo or as a team of sleuths to finally crack the case and reveal the murderer. So do you think you have what it takes to hunt a killer? If so, head to www.huntakiller.com and use the code NYMYSTERYMACHINE for 20% off the first box. That's www.huntakiller.com and the code is NYMYSTERYMACHINE. Sign up now and begin the hunt. Bow, bow, bow. Okie dokie. So uh, we're back. And last we heard, um, Mr. Arnold calls off the search. Right. It is over. And um, that is the end of trying to find Tarthy Arnold. Wow. And um, so over the years, many, many ideas have come come around of what happened to her. Many, many thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, One theory suggested that Dorothy had become pregnant. Okay. And the idea was perhaps with Griscom's child. And what happened was um, she went to have an abortion, mm-hmm. which was probably done underground because mm-hmm. they were illegal. Um, 
and probably died because of that. Right. Uh, this theory stems from the 1914 arrest of Dr. C.C. Meredith, nurse Lucy Orr, and Dr. Lutz of Pittsburgh uh, for running an illegal abortion mill. Okay. According to Lutz, Meredith disclosed that he had performed an abortion on Dorothy that oh. she didn't survive. After Lutz claims, Meredith confessed that he cremated her in the hospital incinerator. However, there is some evidence that disapproves the possibility of a pregnancy. What is that evidence? Th- that they they didn't say. Yeah, it was not substantial enough. When was her dirty weekend with Criscom in Boston? The dirty weekend happened September. Of 1910? Mm-hmm. So arguably... Had she been pregnant, that would have been, say, October, November, three months pregnant with, she would have been first trimester. So she could, I, interesting. I, it seems, I mean, I get that there's not enough evidence. We don't have a body. But that is very plausible to me. Where was this this doctor located? This was in? In Pittsburgh. Right, which is where Criscom is from. Yeah. No? In addition, on November 23rd, 1910, Dorothy left to spend Thanksgiving with her friend Theodosia Bates of Washington, D.C. The next day, Dorothy complained that she was unwell. When Theodosia became concerned, Dorothy confided that she had her period. Since she disappeared on December 11th, it is unlikely that Dorothy would would have suspected that she was pregnant so soon, even if she was. Except if... If she feels unwell, that could be morning sickness and it might not be her period. She might be saying, oh, it's my period. I don't feel great because she doesn't want Theodosia to know that she's pregnant. Sure. I, I mean, it's a very, a very good possibility. Interesting. So that's one prime, okay. prime, uh, prime option. And it's interesting that the doctor would essentially confess to it, right? Yeah. Um. But there'd be other confessions to, to similar things over over the years. Mm, okay. There's also another like interesting moment that happens in February after okay. um, he calls off the search. A postcard arrives at the Arnold family home, postmarked from New York, and it says, "quote I am safe." Oh. And closed with Dorothy Dorothy's signature. The oh. writing appeared to be Dorothy's, but Francis insists that the author merely copied her penmanship in order to. I'm not sure either like just be shitty just be shitty or like fool them I don't know or it could have been her who who knows and it just said I am safe I am safe and it was signed Dorothy or signed, signed Dorothy by her actual signature huh. but at this time Dorothy's writings had been published and like uh in like a news news people have been publishing her stuff yeah. so like her signature was you know able to be seen like when she signed for things, they're right. able to show that what I was saying. So it was made public that you can, in theory, forge that signature. I suppose, but then we would narrow the search. Like the publisher killed her, right? Or like the shop clerk killed her when yeah, she bought I mean, chocolates. So, um, so that was, you know, that's um, so that's another like little huh. anecdote going kind of just chronologically. Um, there's also suspicions of you know murder, right? And um, in April of 1916, six years after Dorothy's appearance, a man named Edward Glenn Norris was serving time in Rhode Island State Prison for extortion. Uh, As convicts sometimes do, he experienced a conversion to Christianity and wanted to confess his sins. He claimed that acquaintance of him named Little Louie asked him to transport an unconscious woman from New Rochelle, New York, to a house in West Point. He was met by two other men, one named Doc and a finely dressed gentleman, many who believe was George. Hmm. On the drive, little Louis told him that the unconscious woman's name was Dorothy Arnold. Oh. Little Louis called Edward the next day to tell him Dorothy had died. Hmm. The rich man paid him $250 to bury her in the basement of a house. Oh. Police went to the house that fit the description. Edward stated that he buried Dorothy beneath the cement in the cellar. Police found an empty area of broken cement. Oh. But it was too small for a body. The new owners said that the hole was simply to access a gas pipe. Uh, after a little digging, it was revealed the two gas pipes, but no sign of Dorothy, no body, no bones, nothing. Francis Arnold called this confession utter nonsense. Mm. Interesting. Question. Uh, at the time of the supposed burial, it was under different ownership? Yes. Interesting. But the current residents didn't say that, ah, we made that. They were like, no, it's to access a gas pipe, right? The new owners didn't, did, yeah, 
Okay. Yeah, they just came. They saw the brokenness. Oh, let's let's. Look this is for the up. gas pipe. Yeah. And they, it's gas pipe. Um, it is interesting that like they were like it's in the basement and it was yeah and in that basement happened to be a broken piece of cement that was you know makes me think somebody was buried there. Also, like unless it's super tiny, you can fold up bodies, and according to one theory, she's been cremated. So you could cremate her and then put her in there, cremate style. Some believe that um that perhaps it wasn't a uh, a murder and it wasn't a botched abortion. Uh, perhaps that she slipped and fell on the icy pavement and she suffered a concussion that brought on amnesia. Mm-hmm. Um, no one saw her fall that day, of course, and there's no hospital that received a girl with a concussion or a blanked out mind. Others point out that the drugging and the abducting of attractive girls was also fairly common in 1910. But could this really happen in the mid-afternoon and one of the busiest streets of the world? Probably not. Unless it happened in Central Park. Yeah, Central Park's... A- good place for that um Dorothy was a strong and capable girl she was she was able to kind of fend for herself if she needed to Mm -hmm. so um if she was being attacked there's a good chance that there would have been some sort of scuffle Mm -hmm. um but again there's no um there's no uh kind of air about it yeah I mean I suppose there are ways of doing it discreetly though right because like you could go up behind someone with like a gun in your pocket and be like Follow me into this car, and she'd be like, "Okay, I'm gonna get in the car now," and then she dies. Yeah, I mean, for all, but I mean, yeah, again, but all this assumption, we have to assume that no one saw any of it, and that's the biggest piece of it, all right. No one right. sees anything happen. But if you have a gun in your pocket and you're sort of coming up behind someone, you're like, "Hey, get in this car." It might not. It might just look like someone's coming up to you and you're talking, and now you're getting in a car. Like it wouldn't look out of the ordinary. There are probably ways to make it look not out of the ordinary. But would that person shoot that girl if she said no? No, but it might be. A botched kidnapping, right? So, like, you get in the car. No, I know that, but why would Dorothy go? What leverage does he have? Are you going to shoot me in the middle of the street? Are you going to shoot me in the middle of the park with people in it? Are you going to shoot Maybe. me? Maybe. I don't know. I don't Someone know. put a gun next to my body. You like, well, Yeah. I mean, nowadays uh, I would do it. I'm not sure. I would just, I'll go, sure, I'll go. Where am I going? I mean, I don't know. That's Where a good question. I, I, it's good to know. Depends on what, what do you like, think, listener? What would you do? If someone came up to you with a gun? Yeah, like, do you fight in the middle of the street, or you're like, nope, I'm gonna get in the car and I'm gonna try to like do a a, a, a Shatner tuck and roll? I don't know. Yeah, I know this is kind of off topic, but not also not. I don't know. If someone can approach me with a gun. I'm not sure if I want to die where I am. Like, try it's to probably fight. smarter to try to fight and try die to fight where you and are. die where you are, or like be lost and have like my family worried about me for forever. Yeah, probably smarter to just not get in the car. Yeah. This is not a PSA. You don't do whatever you need to do. Yeah, do not. We are <clears throat> disclaimer time. We are not uh, lawyers or experts yeah, we don't, in self defense. We don't we know what give to you do. Legal advice, self defense advice. I'm sure someone with more knowledge can tell you what to do. We're just saying that, like, I'm for just me, thinking out loud. Personally, I wouldn't want to go to a second location. Never go to a second location. Never go to the second location. <laughs> um, more likely, though, I've begun calling bar hopping going to a second location, oh, and. God. Um, I should probably stop that anyway. More likely is a possibility that she contrived and or connived in her own disappearance. Mm -hmm. But to do this, Dorothy Arnold must have been either super sensitive or else supremely callous. Um, Like, did the rejection of her stories uh, that she submitted, um, plus, like, her dad's refusal for her, like, to live her best life in Greenwich Village, kind of, like, plunge her into, like, this, this, this self, you know, despair? Did that lead to suicide someplace else? Did that lead to creating a, a second life? A possibility is that Dorothy leapt from the Fall Riverside Wheeler, which left New York at 5 p.m. daily. Suicide favored these overnight boats for no passenger lists were kept. It's basically like if you gone like mm. on the New York ferry, right? Like no one knows who you are. You're just right. on the ferry. Um, passengers merely walked aboard, chose a cabin, paid on board, huh. and then got off. It would have been very simple for her to jump uh, into Long Island Sound during that night. But people who are about to destroy themselves usually seem depressed, and everyone said that she was kind of jolly, from mm-hmm. Gladys to the, the store clerks. Um, everyone said she basically was in a very positive state of mind. Um, in any case, the, the, you know, the Arnolds decide to, to not pursue it. Yeah. Um, and then something very interesting happens. Okay. The case remains unsolved. Francis R. Arnold dies in 1922. Mm-hmm. His wife dies in 1928. Both left wills behind, which stated the following. Quote, 
I have made no provision for my beloved daughter, Dorothy H.C. Arnold, as I am satisfied that she is not alive. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't understand how you get you take your girl out of their will. In the worst case scenario, she doesn't. She's not alive to collect it. Right. The actual choice to take her out of That's the will weird, right? is a very interesting choice. I was reading um, the uh, BuzzFeed has a uh, a YouTube series uh-huh. like, about like unsolved. Uh, oh, cases yeah. and they cover this and that was something that they like kind of really really harping on as well this idea of like there is no cost at putting your daughter in your for in your will even if you don't think she's alive anymore right because worst case scenario she's dead and can't like captive right. and can't capture that money best case scenario she can and that's great and that's one you'd want your daughter to have money i think what's weird to me is the Generally speaking, when people think someone is dead, they just don't put them in their will, right? I they don't mention it, right? I've, I was gonna say I've never heard of someone being like, "So and so is dead," therefore I'm very clearly and explicitly not leaving anything to this person because they're dead. Everyone, they're dead. Feels a little bit like you would just say, "I leave everything to my son and yeah. my other daughter," mm. right? Like, why go to the trouble of naming her? Unless I think they know she's alive. Yeah, there's there's that possibility. There's that possibility. I'm also curious about the cruises, the brochures they found in her in her room. Like where those were headed. Was she trying to surprise Griscom and like show up in Florence? Um I mean, in any case, on December 11th, 1935, the 25th year after her disappearance, police told reporters that tips on Dorothy Arnold still come in. Wow. um, For all those years. About six months before, a tipster claimed to have seen her at Fifth Avenue and 53rd Street. Despite the fact that it had been difficult to recognize her after a quarter century, Mm -hmm. detectives were, in fact, dispatched to the corner in question. They stood there for several hours, peering vainly into the faces of passerbys, but to no avail. Hmm. And uh, that ends the unsolved case of Dorothy Arnold, the heiress who just went missing one day. What say you, Christina? I think Papa Arnold knows more than he's letting on. Mm. I think whether whether she's pregnant, I think that's a real possibility. And so she's either sent away and something goes horribly wrong in that process to like go give birth somewhere and whatever. Um, or, or he pays for an illegal abortion and is like, whoops, got to cover this up now. Or I think he knows more than he's saying. Why then he would cut her so clearly out of a will as well is weird unless he thinks she's alive and just truly wants nothing to do with her. But why that is, I don't know. I, something's weirds going on there, mm. I think. But what... Or or maybe maybe he just thinks he knows more than he does, and it's not actually what... I don't know. I don't know. This is a confusing one. I'm, I feel stumped. Yeah, there's just so many possibilities and so many theories offered, whether it be the abortion theory, whether it be the suicide theory, whether it be a murder, whether it be just... Um, some sort of missing, you know, you, you, lose, you lose your memory, whether it's intentional and she's like, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm getting out of this, but then she lives, she, she takes nothing, you know, that's, my urge was she wants to be lost, mm-hmm. but took nothing. Right. And then, and then there is like the, the, the very off theory that um maybe she does end up with George. We kind of lose tabs on, on George after a few years. Maybe that's the plan. That's maybe, maybe true. The, maybe the plan is we we duck out for a couple of years, and then we start a new life someplace else. I kind of hope that's it because that would feel lovely and positive. That feels lovely and positive. And I do think it's interesting the whole idea of her hawking her goods for sixty dollars in Boston with him, right? Like that's interesting to me too because she comes from a very wealthy family. I'm sure they're not going to deny her money for something that she wants, right? Yeah. Um, she's got this allowance coming in. What is it that is so desperately needed that she needs $60 right now that she's going to she's going to pawn her stuff in order to have it? And that speaks to me a little bit like maybe they are planning something, mm-hmm. right? They're in Boston, she's yeah, they, they come up with this plan 
and it involves her needing some money and I don't know why they hawk it in Boston per se maybe he, she has to give him the money to arrange something but I hope she just went off into the sunset with him yeah that'd be a nice ending to the story yeah and not like these really brutal endings yeah and the other options that we have uh, if you guys have theories you know what to do hit us up on social media we'd love to hear your theories yes please um, in fact, I think what I'll do is um, I will publish one of those things uh, yes. on social media where it's like, what do you think? So I can just kind of publish everyone's on our stories. Yes. So, um, but definitely write that and also hit us up in the, in the, uh, on the iTunes page with a five star review. Um, as you know, we, we pick out a winner every month. We offer them a little bit of a prize. Um, so be sure to do that as well. Um, as you mentioned, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash nymysterymachine in order to become a subscriber and a patron for for uh, for as little as $3 a month. Uh, as always, our, our everlasting love goes to our hmm. patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. And um, if you want to be just like them, you know what to do. Head on over to that website and, and make a difference by helping us make some more uh, New York Mystery Machine. I am so stumped, Christina. This is I like, feel very stumped. I spent all like last night doing this story and like researching and like putting it together, and I have not gained any more clarity on it. I'm I I I I was feeling confident in my ability to come up with a a, a hot take for this one, and I, other than Papa Arnold did it, and is yeah, which seems interesting, but I'm not convinced he did it. Did it? I yeah. think he just facilitated something that went bad and he knows it so let us know what you think folks and yes, also let us know what mysteries you want us to pursue always open to suggestion yeah you can always drop us some suggestions in the comments and um you can do that on the instagram and facebook at ny mystery machine and on twitter at ny mysteries well um it's the winter months it's almost the hot. I mean, no, it is. It is. It it's is the all. holiday season. We've, we've already passed Thanksgiving and we're, we're in Hanukkah. And, and uh, so, um, yeah, we're we're we're, all, we're also getting set and ready here for our our very first Christmas episode. So, um, be sure to to keep on keep on rolling uh, with us on the New York Mystery Machine. I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye.